I would just like to say about your pastor and his wife how much we love them. We adore them. I, I learned so much from him, his wisdom. You know, he's been pastoring longer than... <laughs> a long time he's been a pastor. I started to say longer than I am old. He doesn't miss that much, I will tell you that. Um, but, uh, but I just appreciate... Pastor Mike and Don, I know you do too. Would you just give them a hand this morning? Just let them know you love them and appreciate them. Amen. Well, I, I, as a, my custom when I was uh, pastoring, I would always begin um, this time of year always talking about Jesus. So is it okay if I just talk about Jesus this morning? You know, I, I think we, we can get so wrapped up in talking about everything else, we, we leave Jesus out of the picture when he is the center and the focus of everything that we do and everything that we are and everything that we say. So I'm going to go to the book of Hebrews in just a moment, chapter 2, and then Hebrews chapter 4. If you want to just slide your finger in chapter 4 there, we're going we're gonna to look there for, for a few moments. But, but the title of my message this morning is Jesus the Carpenter. And I'm just going to begin with a question today and just ask, why did he come as a carpenter? Why did he choose that role? And I will tell you very simply one word, and it is simply the word identification. We had this, uh, uh, this incredible election time recently, you know, an election year. And, and what I'm about to tell you, you know to be true. Uh, there would be politicians that would, uh, would come to town and they would put on a suit and a tie and they would have lunch with a bunch of bakers. And this politician would say, my father was a banker, so I know how you feel. I know what you're going through and I can relate to you. Uh, later that day, he would put on a pair of jeans and a hard hat and he would meet with factory workers and he would say, my, my dad's brother was a factory worker so I know how you feel, and I can, I can relate to the struggles that you have. I know the things that you're dealing with. I can, I can, I can help you. And then later, he had put on some overalls and a hat, and he would go meet with farmers, and he would tell them, my, my dad's brother's uncle's sister's friend was a farmer, and so I know what you're going through, and I can relate. It was all about them trying to identify with their voting block. Can I tell you something? This morning, our Savior didn't settle for the illusion of identification. He lived just like we live. He went through everything that you have gone through in your life or that you will go through. He has experienced it all. He, has, he lived through junior high. He went to high school. I mean, he experienced everything that you and I have experienced in life, and, and he identifies with us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 through 18 says this, uh, Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted he is able to aid those who are tempted. Let's pray this morning. Father, I love you today. I'm grateful, God, for your blessing and your provision in our life this morning. Lord, I am thankful that you came to identify 
with us and that you suffered things just as we suffer them. You, you've gone through them, Father, and you, uh, Lord Jesus, and you know everything that everyone in this room is dealing with. You've experienced it on some level this morning. I pray, God, that you would just anoint my words as I preach the word of God this morning in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for for praying with me this morning. Well, our scripture this morning talks about in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a, a merciful and faithful high priest. There's a couple of words. One of them is in our text. I'm going to point out to you, but there's a couple of words that I want to explain to you this morning. And the first one is uh, expiation. And it literally means uh, to cover and cleanse from sin. But it looks uh, on this covering and cleansing from sin from the perspective of the sinner. The word that was used in our text this morning is propitiation, and it means this. It means to completely satisfy the wrath, judgment, and justice of God. How many of you know that God is offended by our sin? And it must be dealt with. It must be uh, equalized. The sin tips the scale of injustice, and only they can be righted by Jesus. Jesus' righteousness is on one side of the scale, and our sin is on the other side of the scale, and he completely satisfies the wrath, judgment, and justice of God. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 takes that thought that he being made like his brethren just a little bit further. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus endured everything that you and I endure in life, and he can identify with us on every level. This portion of scripture says that he is a high priest who sympathizes with us. He says to us, I experienced what you've experienced. I've had what you've had. I've dealt with the things that you have dealt with, and I know where your hurt is. I know where your pain is. I know where, you're, where, you're, where all the things that you're dealing with in life, I know where they, they come from. And he says, I had that too, and I feel for you. Jesus even says, I was tempted like you are being tempted. I was tempted as you are being tempted. Listen, the devil will make you feel like you don't belong here this morning. But can I tell you this? There is one who walks among us today who knows you need to be here. He understands what you're dealing with. You may think no one else understands. You may think no one else can comprehend the things that, that I'm going through, but Jesus understands what you're dealing with. And we're going to talk about three things this morning. First, let's begin. We're going to, we're going to talk about Jesus understanding relationships. And I want you to go to Mark chapter 6 with me. And I'm going to read one verse of Scripture there, Mark chapter 6, verse 3. But, uh, but Jesus understands relationships, and, and here's what this verse says. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? Here's the truth. Jesus had siblings. He had siblings. 
He knew what it was like to be raised with uh, how many four brothers and no telling how many sisters. We know at least two because he uses a plural term. There could have been more, but he had siblings. He knows what it's like to have his brother duct tape him to the bed. <laughs> he understands. I'm sure they got along perfectly, aren't you? I mean, can you, can you imagine James's difficulty when Mary would look at him and say, James, why can't you be more like Jesus? I, I can imagine it would just be difficult. I, I'm sure they got along very well and everything went smooth, smoothly. But Jesus knows about sibling rivalry. He understands it. He knows about brothers and sisters. He understands about dealing with those kind of things. Jesus did chores growing up. Can you imagine that? Growing up, he took out the trash. He fed the dog. He did all the things that you and I did as we grew up. When our kids were small, we realized that we were the single influence in their life. But as they grew, we realized we became a influence in their life. Anybody else, you've, you've witnessed that in your own family? I mean, it just happens, doesn't it? We, we, we are the single influence in their life, and then as they get a little bit older and start gathering friends in, then we just are somehow relegated to being a influence in their life. Well, we decided early on, and I think this was more my wife than me. I'm never this smart, but we decided early on that we would influence the other influences in their life. So our house became the house that everybody came and hung out. It was just a fun place to be. I, I, I don't, and I'm sure that is because of my wife, because I was never home. <laughs> but at any rate, that, that's where they all came out. One night we come home, it's about midnight. I think we'd been at district council. We get home about midnight, and I have to park like three houses down because of all these cars that are in front of my house. Now, now, I know you might be a little alarmed when you're out of town and you come home and all of these cars are parked in front of your, front of your house. But it was, it was all good. It was all, it was all nice and easy. In fact, we walked in the door. There was about 15 kids in my living room. They all got up, hugged us, told us they loved us. They missed us, just fell on us. I mean, just welcomed us home. And then we noticed our kids were not in the room. So we go walking back through the house, and we find our three children back in one of the bedrooms. And we go, what are you doing back here? You should, you should be in there with them. You should be hosting them. One of them said, we want them to go home. <laughs> we became that influence in their life. Can I tell you something? Jesus understood sibling rivalry. He knew what it was all about. He understood uh, being, being that home that possibly everybody came to and hung out. He understood what those kind of things were like. I have an older brother who, who uh, loved to fight. I mean, he just, he loved, he would fight at the drop of a hat. In fact, he beat me up basically every day of my life. I kid you not until I got big enough where he couldn't. But, uh, but he would beat me up every day of my life and just kind of leave me laying wherever, wherever he finished doing his deal. But here's the thing. No one else could beat me up. I remember when I was in the seventh grade in Odessa, they had a seventh, eighth, and ninth grade all in middle school or junior high. And I was in the seventh grade, and there were a handful of us that were, that were somehow selected to be in that last period 
sports. Just like five or six of us seventh graders, everyone else in there was eighth and ninth graders. Well, you can imagine being a seventh grader in that many eighth and ninth graders. I mean, we, our life was miserable. We were always being picked on, always being singled out. In fact, in off season, when we played war ball, anybody remember war ball? When we played war ball, they would invariably try to get us out first. They, they would just get these balls and just attack us and just smack us. Well, once I accidentally caught a guy's ball that he threw at me. And, you know, if you caught it, he had to go sit down. He was hot. I mean, he was mad. Now, now my brother's last name is Pearson. My last name is Henry. Half-brothers, whole different story. But, uh, but after school, this guy that I caught the war ball and he had to go sit down decided he was going to beat me up. I mean, so he walked up to me, kicked me, punched me. I'm laying on the ground crying in the fetal position. <laughs> He's standing over me, making fun of me. It was just brutal. <laughs> He's standing over me, making fun of me, and this guy walks by, doesn't stop him, doesn't say anything. He just said, you better watch out. That's Gary Pearson's little brother. He said, no, it's not. His last name is Henry. And then it dawned on him that not everybody in the same family had the same last name. So he asked me, is Gary your brother? I said, he is. Oh, he begged me. He, I'm, I'm tell, he got down on his knees and begged me, please, whatever you do, don't tell Gary. I did. Gary beat the mud out of him. The last I heard, the last I heard, Gary had punched him and put him upside down in a trash can. I mean, Gary could beat me up, but no one else can beat me up. Can I tell you this this morning? You have an elder brother whose name is Jesus who will fight for you. He will, he, will, he will stand in the gap for you. He will fight for you. He will defend you. It doesn't matter what the devil tries to do. He will always be there to defend you. Amen. We have this elder brother, Jesus, who understands what it's like to have siblings. He knows what it's like. He was single. He knows what it's like to be single. He understands all of those kind of frustrations. And you might say, well, he doesn't know what it's like to be married. But the Bible calls him a bridegroom and his church, his bride. And we all know how that's working out. He understands relationships. He understands relationships. Listen to this in Mark chapter 3. Then his brothers and his mothers came and standing outside they sent to him, calling him and a multitude was sitting around him and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them saying, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister, and my mother. Now, I want you to notice his father's not mentioned. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But here's what he's saying. They are not my family. You are my family. 
Why didn't he get up and go out to them? I mean, they had come to get him. Why didn't he get up and go out to them? It's told in, in verse 21 of that same chapter. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. His own family thought he'd lost it. They thought it was crazy. So have you ever, have you ever had your family think you were crazy? Jesus says, I know what that's like. I understand that. I can deal with that. Everyone eventually turned on him. Everyone. Mary and Martha blamed him. If you would have only been here, they said, our brother would still be alive. His closest friends left him, and Judas even betrayed him. The scribes claimed that he was demon-possessed. They said, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of demons he cast out demons. Listen, he knows what it's like to have relational issues. He understands it. So my question this morning is, when are we going to talk to him about our relationships? When are we going to just open up to him and talk to him about our relationships? Here's the second thing. Jesus understands work. Our text in Mark 6 verse 3 said, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? My oldest son um, as long as our kids were in extracurricular activities, they didn't have to go to work in high school. But when those ended, they had to get a job. Are you okay with that? My oldest son played basketball. When basketball came to an end, he wasn't in track or anything else. It was just done. So I went to him one day and I said, okay, this is December the 4th. By January the 4th, you're going to have to have a job. Or you're going to start riding the bus to school. Well, how many of you know? He got a job. Miraculously, a job opened up. Now, I know that sounds a little harsh and a little, but come on, right? So anyway, so, he, so he's always kind of worked. One summer, he was working this job out at this plant in Odessa. It was a big refinery, and he was working this job. And, uh, and his job, they were digging this huge ditch. I'm talking 20-foot deep ditch. And his job and his best friend's job was to be down in the corners of the ditch with a shovel squaring up the, the corner of the ditch. So he's got a shovel and a wheelbarrow. And he's wearing insulated coveralls that are fire retardant, a hard hat. I'm, it, is, it is difficult work. He is out there working. One day his boss uh, drives up, stands on the edge of the ditch, looks down in the ditch at Landon down there just shoveling away and says, Landon, how does college look now? <laughs> I remember the day Landon was laid off from this job. I come home. He's home early. I said, why are you home? He said, yay, I got laid off today. I said, you're not supposed to be happy about getting laid off. Landon, that's why they call it work. They call play, play, and work, work, right? I mean, so, so we learned that at a very early age. Jesus understood what it was like to work. It was, he, he, listen, he got there early. Jesus got there early and he stayed late. Can you imagine Jesus wearing jeans and a t-shirt and a tool belt? That's all he had I mean, he didn't have power saws. He didn't have 
power tools. I'm sure he had a hammer and nails and those kind of things. He, Jesus was in the marketplace longer than he was in the ministry. He was a carpenter longer than he was a preacher. He was, in, he was 18 years as a carpenter and three years in ministry. And Jesus was a real carpenter. He didn't have any, any power saws, no powered nail gun. I mean, everything was nailed by hand. Everything was glued by hand. I'm, I'm, he just understood what it was like to work. Do we have time for a joke? All right, I'm going to try it. This guy went into this lumber yard and asked for two by fours. And the guy said, how long do you need them? He said, well, I'm going to need them a long time. I'm building a fence with them. Thank you for that laugh. <laughs> I know, you probably heard that. We tell the same jokes as well, so I, it's not going not gonna to get anywhere with that. Jesus was a real carpenter. You know, he had calluses. He had blisters on his hand. He was a laborer. At one point, Jesus owned the company. He knows about handling employees. He knows about leadership. He knows about management. He knows about pleasing the customer and making sure everything is done right and properly. Jesus knows what it's like to work with liars and cheaters. He knows what it's like to work with those who don't pay their bills. He knows what church people are like who don't pay their bills too. He understands. He's been there. He knows about taxes. He knows what it's like when the economy slows down. He understands work. My, my question this morning is why don't we talk to him about work? Lord knows we're talking to everyone else about it. Why don't we talk to Jesus? Here's the third thing this morning. Jesus understands your pain. He understands, first of all, emotional pain. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, it says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Jesus understands emotional pain. He was ridiculed because of his birth in a stable. He was, they, they said he was illegitimate. Can you, can you hear the sarcasm in their voice as they're saying about Mary? She says it is of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was ridiculed because of his hometown, because of Nazareth. He was ridiculed because of his occupation. He was a carpenter and not a prophet. He was ridiculed because of his race. He was a Jew. He was ridiculed until his last breath when the thief on the cross said, If you are the Son of God, Save yourself and us. He was rejected by the very people that he fed, that he taught, and he healed. They cried Hosanna on Wednesday and cried crucify him on Thursday. Jesus understands rejection. He understands the emotional pain that sometimes accompanies us that no one else knows about. When they say those things under their breath to us, when they when they utter those unspeakable things that hurt us, 
to the core of our being. Jesus understands emotional pain. Jesus understands physical pain. Isaiah 53 and 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Jesus was beaten by three different garrisons of guards. He was beaten by a Jewish guard, by Herod's guard, and by Roman guards. He was beaten with rods. There was a crown of thorns that was, that was plaited and crammed down onto his head. His, his beard was plucked from his face so that he was unrecognizable. And they nailed him to a cross. Jesus was literally tortured to death. He understands physical pain. And by his stripes, the things that he bore upon his body produce your healing and mine. That's why he bore those things, to produce healing for you from physical things, from those, those things that cause trauma to your life. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth and he was led as a lamb to slaughter. And as the sheep before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus understands pain. There's a beautiful story in Mark chapter 7, in the gospel of Mark chapter 7 about them bringing this man who was deaf and he had a speech impediment. They brought him to Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus took this man to the side, away from the multitude. And then he did some very strange things, and I'm not sure I understand them all. But he placed his fingers in his ears. And the Bible says that he spat, and then he touched the man's tongue. I don't know if he spat on his finger and touched the man's tongue, if he spat on the ground. The scripture's really not clear. But it's just this beautiful story. And then it says that Jesus, after he'd placed his fingers in his ears and touched the man's tongue and spat, then it says that Jesus sighed and he uttered something in Aramaic, which means be opened. And the man began to hear and speak perfectly. It was a miracle. Here's the thing that I want you to get. Jesus sighed. Now, when you look up that word in the original language, we find that it's only used a few times in Scripture. In fact, there and in Romans 8, two places in Romans 8, this same word is used. And it's translated in Romans 8, groanings. You're familiar with the Scripture that says that we, uh, we don't know how to pray as we ought but the Spirit of God prays through us with groanings that cannot be uttered. It's that same word that is used of Jesus sighing. In other words, here's what I think it is. I think Jesus is praying in tongues over this man. I think he's praying in tongues over this man so that he will be healed. And I think it's a perfect example of Jesus making intercession for you and I today. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, the Word of God says, and he is constantly and consistently making intercession for you and I. I think he's praying in tongues for us. I think it's the Spirit of God that's praying through him for us. He understands pain. This man was healed, gloriously healed, and and so my question today is, when are we going to talk to him about your pain and your suffering? Here's the last thing this morning. 
He understands grief. Jesus said seven things on the cross. It said in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, Joseph? Well, no longer in the picture. Jesus' words are recorded. Seven things he said on the cross. One of the things that he uttered on the cross as he looked at John, he said, John, behold your mother. And he looked at his mother and said, Mother, behold your son. Mary went to live with John from that moment on. Joseph was out of the picture. And my question today is, have you ever lost someone that was close to you? You ever had to say goodbye to a family member, a mother, a father? You ever had to say goodbye to a son or a daughter or an aunt or an uncle? Jesus understands your grief. He knows what it's like to put his hand around his, the shoulders of his mother and walk her home from the cemetery after laying his father Joseph, his earthly father, in the grave. He understands your grief. There is nothing Jesus cannot relate to. My dad died in uh, 1997. He literally kind of grieved himself to death after my mother died 14 months before that. It's the only way I can explain it. He... Uh, there were, there, were, there were days when he wasn't doing well, so I would spend the day at the office and have dinner with my family, and then I'd go over to his house and spend the night with him. And he'd always be up waiting on me. If I, if I got there at 11 o'clock at night, he'd be up waiting on me. I'd say, Dad, don't wait up on me. Go on to bed. You know I'm coming. I'll be here. I'll have breakfast with you in the morning. But he would always wait up. And it was during baseball season. He was always watching a baseball game. And I used to love to watch baseball with my dad. Neither one of us were very good at it, but we loved to watch it. He was always watching baseball. And, uh, and I, I would come in, and, and he would be sitting in his chair and watching a baseball game, and we'd, we'd chit-chat a little bit, talk about the day, whatever. And uh, then I would kind of lay down on the couch or sit down on the couch, and my dad would invariably go to sleep. But the problem was he'd go to sleep with his finger on the volume button. <laughs> and he would turn the volume completely down on the TV set. And it would just drive me crazy. I'd want to get up. Then he'd wake up. And he'd turn it back up. Then he'd go back to sleep. And he'd turn it back down. Pretty soon I just learned to watch baseball with no sound whatsoever. <laughs> when he's in the hospital, it had been a few days and uh, he hadn't responded to anyone, hadn't said anything, just laying there. It's about 11 o'clock on a Thursday night, and I am up at the hospital. There's a baseball game on, no volume. You'd have been very proud of me. I'm watching this baseball game, and it's about 11 o'clock at night. It had been days since he had responded to anyone. All of a sudden, he sat up on his elbow, leaned up on his elbow like this. And he's looking up in the corner of the room, not towards the TV, but up in the corner of the room. And he goes, wow. And he looked at me and he said, can you see that? I said, no, I can't. What is it? 
And he just looks back up in the corner of the room and he's just staring up there and he's going, man, that is beautiful. I'm going, what? I can't see it. What is it? And he looks back at me and he says, come on, let's go. I said, Dad, don't wait on me. If, you, if you're ready, you go. I'll see you someday. On Sunday of that week, my dad died. When he finished his little vision and he laid back down on his bed, I'm standing up in the corner of the room begging God to let me see what he saw. I am begging Jesus, Jesus, just give me a glimpse of what he's seen. Just let me see it. That glimpse never comes. But I know that I know that I know that what my dad saw was real. And it's a place someday that we'll all get to go. We'll all get to be there. Provided Jesus is our Savior, we'll all get to be there. It was just as real as the baseball game was on the television screen. It's just as real. Can I tell you something? Through that little thing, Jesus brought healing to me. It wasn't hard to let him go because I knew that I would see him again. Jesus understands your grief. My question this morning is, when are we going to talk to him about our grief? When are we just going to let it out and let Jesus take care of all of those things that we've been dealing with? And the worship team come back just very quickly. I want to pray for you this morning. And I want to pray that God would help you turn your relationships over to him. That God would help you um, turn your work issues over to him. That God would help you turn your pain over to him. Whether it's physical or emotional. Or, or it's gotten to the grief state. Can I tell you, Jesus understands. He's dealt with every one of those. And he's here this morning to give you a hand. Father, I just come in the name of Christ this morning. Lord, I'm grateful for the work that your son, Jesus, has provided for us. Father, I'm grateful for this great gift that you've given us that you saw fit from the foundation of the world that Jesus would lay down his life that he would come and live as a man he would face rejection as a man. He would face death as a man. Lord, he did all those things that he might identify with every one of us in this room today. Lord Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you for working in our life. 
In Jesus' name. Can we just sing this this morning? Let's just take a moment, worship the Lord for a few moments, if you would.